Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, a producer breaks their back while filming a local reality TV series. Everyone's a winner as the 2020 ratings race comes to an end. And we chat with C-3PO, the one and only Anthony Daniels. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. And it is a big post-ratings hello to everyone. Mulk, our ratings maestro, is here. You can find him at Steve Mulk on Twitter. Hello, Mulk. Uh, hello, Rob. And look, I've got to say, even though there are other people in this thing, I've managed to score number one on the run sheet again. How's that good? Oh, I don't know how that's happened, especially when Ben Norris is here. Hello, Benjamin J. Norris. Hi, guys. I, I'm just full disclosure. Uh, I just finished that last episode of The Undoing and I'm literally undone and I'm just going to take a few minutes to sort of recollect and pull my thoughts together. No spoilers, Malk, I'm assuming. Ben. Oh, perfect time to do a podcast when Ben can't speak. Great. Uh, we... <laughs> Everyone says, I'll take it. <laughs> we have saved the best to last because she is back, baby, back with a vengeance. Sarah Monaghan, you can find her at Shrimp Tank. Hello, my lovely. Hello. I've sailed to the very southernmost point of the US to get away from the rest of the diseased people. Although <laughs> you're pretty diseased yourself. I have also brought my own, it's, but it's not COVID, so it's fine. <laughs> we were just having an off-air chat about all of Sarah's ills and she's lucky to it's, be alive, just quite I frankly. am just a very sickly child having drowned as a kid and apparently I've never gotten over it. <laughs> oh, I laughed and then realised the severity of what you were saying. Laugh right, or cry, baby. Drowned. Did you drown as a child? Yeah, I was clinically dead for 12 minutes. But she got better. Spoilers. Okay. Wow, this I is just a story I haven't heard. That's why I was admit. Did you not read my book? Oh, yeah, I did, sure. Yeah, spot the people that don't care about the people <laughs> they work with here. I don't read. Is it an audio book? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and look as he tries to find the excuses. Oh, look, I found one. Is it an audio book? <laughs> Yeah, she redid like the drowning for the audio. I don't audio. read much. <laughs> Actually, anyway. Sarah Harris said that. Um, I discovered all this stuff about your, Joe Hildebrand. And I said, mate, we've got to do a feature interview. And he went to Sarah and said, why is all this coming up now? Why does Rob want to do this feature interview? And she said, well, he hasn't read the book and I was telling him some of your tales. And he went, oh, this is great. Let's do an interview. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's get into the news stories of the week because there is a lot to cover. Well, as exclusively revealed to me for TV Black Box, a producer has broken their back on location of The Amazing Race Australia. Yasmin Kara, a well-experienced producer, was testing a challenge for Eureka Productions. They're the makers of the program. And this challenge took place reportedly after only a mere 42-second safety briefing. I reached out to the production company with a series of questions and their reply was, Eureka complies with all applicable workplace health and safety laws, the safety and well-being of all contestants and crew in any and all of Eureka's production environments is paramount. Now, Sarah, interestingly here, I did specifically ask whether they were looking after the medical bills of this producer. I also asked whether there is an issue with their safety procedures because uh, if what I'm being told, a 42-second briefing on us and she had to jump into water a certain way, and I'm told it was a 42-second briefing. This is the same production company that runs Holy Moly, where we saw Denise Drysdale have an accident, and Ben has also reported on another accident that took place on the set. Um, Should we be worried, or is this just part of making TV? Well, I mean, we could blame it on it's just peak 2020. Um, I think it's just... it's everybody's pushing to make harder and harder stunts. And we've always said there's going to come a time where somebody gets killed doing one of these shows because mm-hmm. they're just pushing mm-hmm. to make it like worse and more difficult. And even watching like I'm a celebrity last year where they had the boulders come down and someone got smashed in the face and ended up with a black eye. It's like, they're just trying to hurt people at this point. And I am, it, I feel terrible that she broke her back and that's horrible, but I'm glad that they're making the people like producers because they're the ones who are then going to tell the contestants that they have to do the same stunt. So at least they're being put through the same thing that they're going to put other people through because otherwise that would have been a regular contestant that was also hurt. And I'm pretty sure that the company would have to pay her bills because doesn't that come under workers' compensation? Well, you would think, but I think there's a bit more to that story there that I can't go into because I don't have all the facts, but um, I think there is some legally... But one of the TV shows that I was looking at doing that you had to have your own health insurance. And I'm like, if I get hell on the set of your show, you were going to be paying for it. Well, this is the issue because most of the people who work in the television industry are freelancers. But, Ben, you pointed out, same production company with Holy Moly. Yeah, I just also wanted to highlight that I remember that the insurance for doing Big Brother was a lot. Like I remember when that arrived and we had to fill out the paperwork. Obviously I didn't read any of the paperwork. My very intelligent partner did. But it was astronomical. Like it was such a big, um, you know, boost to what I normally would have. You know, I I think these are coincidences. I don't think that this is something for anyone to be too alarmed with. I mean, these are horrific situations. I'd really love to know as to whether or not Yasmin's okay. I think that's the main thing. I don't uh, beyond even wanting to know whether her bills were paid. I just want to know that she's all right. Yeah, I do too. And I think that's a concern. Um, You know, I have to go back to the fact that I. have been I was a test I was a crash test dummy for I'm a celebrity and I went and tried all of the stunts that they did one year for the UK season of that show I was buried alive with rats um and I I'm like that sounds horrific and guess what it's as bad as it sounds um but there were so many protocols that went with it. There was so much rehearsal and and I don't want to ruin any of the illusions of those shows, but I 100% 
always felt safe working with those production companies I've worked with. Granted, I've never worked with Eureka, but I don't want to throw stones because I don't necessarily know everything. And the other point we should make is that they are dealing with shows that are big event shows like The Amazing Race and Holy Moly, whereas there are there is a higher risk. And I completely understand that. And the magic of television is to make it look like people are in death-defying situations when actually, you know, they're actually not. Absolutely. Well, the 2020 official ratings race has come to an end and Channel 9 has declared victory in all people and key demos. 9 had a 27.7% share, followed by 7 with 27.2%. The ABC was third on 18.4%. 10 came fourth on 18% and SBS had an 8.8% share. I spoke with 9's Chief Sales Officer, Michael Stevenson, about the win. steve thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Mate, uh, a good year for Channel 9. Uh, another great year, I would say. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I look back five years ago when we started this, this journey and, um, and we looked where we are today, five years of consistency, five years of leadership in, in all of the key demographics. And, you know, whether that's 1639, 2554 or grocery shoppers with children, whether you look at the main channel or our network of channels, uh, we're the leader. And I think you know if you're an adver- if you're an advertiser, um, you want and you're looking for a partner. You want a, a partner that can deliver consistency for 52 weeks a year. And from January to December, um, again, that's what we've done. Well, you certainly have. And let's be honest, Nine has had the consistency of 2020. I think you guys have done an amazing job through what has been a very difficult year. Um, you have faced a bit of a challenge in the second half of the year. How does Nine see itself placed in 2021 to fend off uh, a renewed competition? Uh, you know, again, I, I look at the 2020 was an unbelievable year for everybody. Mm. Uh, everyone had to face incredible challenges. And I'm, I'm really proud about how our business navigated through that. From a production perspective, we pivoted quickly. Um, we produced everything. Uh, we did it differently and we learned a lot along the way. We had to manage through, you know, sport, sporting events, moving, timing changing. But at the end of the year, we delivered from January all the way through to December, um, mm-hmm. finished with, of course, an amazing series of the block and, um, and three state of origin matches. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel good about 2020. If I think about 21, you know, we've got everything that you saw in our schedule this year, that consistency of schedule. And in addition, um, another 50 hours of primetime content, uh, everything from Celebrity Apprentice, Beauty and the Geek, Parent Jury, um, Amazing Grace, of course, our new drama, and um, the return of Love Island Australia. So <clears throat> we've got a super strong sc- schedule next year that, um, that, again, will only be focused on the demos and, um, and we'll go hard from the beginning of January all the way through to December. Talk to me about the demos because obviously media writers like myself and many others talk about total people still to this day. They're the biggest figures. But obviously you're, you guys are doing great guns in the demos. Um, how much do you like to celebrate the total people? Because we still get press releases and information about total people. It is still a perception, from a perception point of view, it's still a big selling point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while now and I don't think I've ever received a brief for total people. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Advertisers are focused on targeting specific demographics and therefore that's how we uh, focus focus our business. Um, Of course, you're right, this year we did for the second year in a row win total people as well, but that's not our focus. 
Yep. Um, what I think is more interesting is as we start to think about how you might, how you guys might think about total television and total audiences into the future, because you know consumption is changing and and the mm. measurement changing quickly. So I think thinking about things through the lens of live linear television plus live streaming and on-demand viewing is the is the way in which we should think about this in the future. It's certainly the way in which we are um, focusing and, and setting up our business strategically. How much of your of what you do is transitioning to focusing on uh, services like Nine Now? Because obviously, as people start to consume online, how much how important is that proposition from a sales perspective? Oh, critical! Um, you know, we've been on this journey since uh, February two thousand and sixteen when we launched Nine Now, um, and of course, more recently, we've been transitioning Nine Now from a catch-up service for Nine's TV shows, if you like, mm. to an on-demand platform in its own right. It's why we did the NBCU deal. It's why we did the Discovery deal to make Nine now a destination um, for premium content, um, both uh, through output deals or content deals, as well as our own locally produced shows. And, you know, the future of advertising is a combination of live live streaming and on demand uh, the future of advertising is more going to be more and more addressable um, which is why having a first party data asset is so critical of course we have 13 million signed in users giving us a significant advantage mm. so i mean i spend a lot of my time focusing on that product and of course what that means for brands um, as we kind of move move forward but it is going to become more and more important for both advertisers and certainly for for our company some quick-fire questions on the state of the industry at the moment. So how will tennis... We're hearing stories that Tennis Australia will be forced to delay the Australian Open, which is obviously a big launching pad for Channel 9. What's your backup plan? So I think I mentioned earlier on, you know, we've got over 50 hours of, um, of new Australian content coming into the schedule yep. next year. Um, what that gives us is a lot of optionality. Um, so we have lot, we have lots of options in terms of in terms of the the schedule. We are working really closely with Tennis Australia right now and um, the Victorian government to to finalise the start date of the AO. Um, and you know I think in in Craig Tiley at Tennis Australia, if um, there's anyone that will finalise finalise this sooner rather than later, um, of course it's him. And we have our complete faith in that happening. What I can tell you is this, is that we will definitely start the year with the Australian Open and, um, and Married at First Sight. It'll be the, you know, the two big events that kick off the, kick off the year next year and um, hopefully we'll finalise the actual start date uh, very shortly. So that sounds like you expect it to be definitely in the early part of the year, at January or February. If it's in ratings, is that a good thing for you? You pay a lot of money for this event, it gets a lot of eyeballs. This could actually be a godsend, couldn't it? Yeah, like I said, you know, there's there's lots of <clears throat> there's lots of optionality around around where we place other content around the Australian Open. So, you know, we're well progressed with all of our advertising partners and sponsors for the AO. Um, there'll be really interesting integration and and really big campaigns launching through that period. So, you know, we just hope to get off to a to a cracker of a start with mm. those two things in combination. And as you rightly point out, the Australian Open is such an amazing launch pad for married at first sight those two things in combination are kind mm. of our couple if you like um obviously nine is going to look different going in the future with the new ceo do you have any idea of where the direction of the company might go or more 
and that's probably a question you can't answer, what are your hopes for the direction of the company? Oh, you know, we've got a we've got a really clear strategy at Nine. We, you know, we create great content. Uh, we distribute that broadly across every platform to engage audiences and advertisers. That's what we do. Um, and we've been, over the last five years, bringing that to life through the lens of uh, a content proposition, a data proposition, and a technology proposition. That mm. so we have completely pivoted our company. Um, and, you know, COVID gave us the opportunity to move even quicker as we accelerate towards towards our digital future, that is not going to change. Um, and in terms of you know, in terms of what happens to our company over the course of the next few weeks and months, um, you know, there's a there's a process underway, and there are a number of candidates, internal candidates, all of who would do amazing jobs. Mm. Well, mate. Um I thought Hugh Marks leaving nine was going to be the big story of 2020, but it turns out there's a late contender, uh, and it's not Pete Evans. It's a lady by the name of Rhonda Birchmore not being part of the Christmas carols. Uh, what What's going to happen there? Is Rhonda Birchmore going to be part of the carols, do you think? <laughs> oh, mate, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly make comment on such a, on such a, on such a topic. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw the curveball at you, mate, but uh, it's the story everyone's talking about. She's played a blinder on the PR front. <laughs> I'll have to get back to you, mate. <laughs> All right, Steve-O, thank you very much and congratulations. Number one, it shows what Nine has done if, over the past few years and my congratulations to everyone at Nine. Uh, thank you very much. Well, there you go, Michael Stevenson from Nine Sales. Uh, Mulk, you laughed during that, but Rhonda Birchmore was the big story of the year, I reckon. No, not a chance. No <laughs> way, no how could Rhonda Birchmore unseat some of the other big media stories of 2020. And now that said, we know that when we think about 2020, the Rona, right? It's just responsible for screwing everything up, not least of which is TV schedules. So you could proffer, for example, that the Olympics being cancelled was the biggest TV story of the year. I mean, who knows? It certainly affected Channel 7's hopes for what they had planned uh, and absolutely affected the first half of the year, which traditionally is 7's uh, biggest when we look at the past few years. Sorry, I've got, to, I've got to say I don't think COVID had anything to do with Seven's performance in the first half of the year because those shows were locked and loaded I and they just got didn't there. I said that it was a part of affecting the fact the Olympics weren't there, which is traditionally that they have, usually have a big first half. The fact that they had pretty much mm, lukewarm to shitty responses from all of their television programs. My Kitchen Rules rate us the lowest it's had ever. House Rules basically crashed and burned. They tried to launch Pooch Perfect and it fell on its ass. Um, they really struggled to get a win in Q1 and Q2, and mm. that's very unseven. Um, and I, you can't say, oh, but Married at First Sight was was better. It rated pretty massively for nine, but I don't think it was better than other years. Um, I mean, we were talking, if you remember back to Q1, Channel 10 were coming second in primetime. Like Survivor was beating everything that Channel 7 could throw at them. Dancing mm. with the Stars didn't do well for 10, but Survivor did okay. Uh, but Merritt at First Sight was way out in front. Um, look, I think there's a lot to consider here. We know that Australians are absolutely besotted with sport on television. We know that because the AFL Grand Final, when it did get to air, the NRL Grand Final, um, a fair chunk of the Australian Open, and believe it or not, day eight, which I think was when, I can't remember which Australian lost, 
Um, uh, but the last Australian bout out of, of the Oz Open was the highest rating show there. Uh, and of course, um, the State of Origin was massive. But those those big ones, NRL, AFL and the State of Origin were all pushed into Q4 which is a really unseasonal place for them to happen. Absolutely all affected by Corona. Um, the, the most surprising thing for mine was reading the press releases that came out on Sunday and to see various claims. And I've got to tell you from all three commercial networks, some pretty neat, you know, PR gymnastics taking place to claim some pretty big wins in different situations. I mean, seven to their credit um, didn't, you know, jump up and down and say we're the number one network, but they did reinforce that they've got the number one breakfast program, which they do, though they did go on to claim that Sunrise continued its unbeaten run, and that's patently false. Um, they uh, did win the national news uh, as far as seven news went, but they didn't win the East Coast. Uh, in fact, nine missed out on a 40-week run uh, by losing the final week of ratings to seven in Sydney. So they nearly got there. Um and, and then across the board, it starts to sort of, you know, stretch out and, and play it across there. There, there was some a huge result, as, as Steve-O said, for um, the block at the end of the year. I think, really, it just came down. We, the, 2020 was the year that we all really fell in love with Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime Video and Disney+. Plus. I think that's uh, very fair. Let me ask you, out of all the spin that you saw in those press releases, what was the most outlandish claim? <laughs> this was a cracker. The crazy one for mine uh, was absolutely that Channel 10 claimed that 10 Shake, and look, I'm all for 10 Shake, um, but that it was the number one network for under 13s during the day in November. <laughs> yeah, fair shake of the sauce bottle for the network for trying to pull that one over us, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it sat well with anyone. <laughs> no, just that. What does that do for 10's credibility? Because they've got a story that they had growth. They've ended up in number four. Mm. But when you try to put spin like that into talk up shake, that doesn't that just look desperate? <laughs> I think it looks desperate. But, I mean, come on. We all know at this time of the year everyone is about to spin everything to make everything sound better. It's, you know, it's as... Yeah, but there's spin and then there's just ridiculousness. But Rob, you wouldn't say that it's any worse this year than it was any other year. Come on, it was there was nothing as ridiculous. No, that, that thing about 10 shake when they took figures for November in under 12s or whatever it was, that that was ridiculous. The the growth is a fair statement, year on year growth. It's it's not a great result for 10, but to be able to say year on year growth is a positive. So yes, focus on all that. I got no problem with the spin of that, but 10 shake is a disaster so far. Trying to talk it up by using some under 12 figures from November, one month during only. During the day, remember? During the day, yes, good point. <laughs> it was during the day. It wasn't even in prime time. I'm sorry, when you're trying to pull a stat like that, you are desperate and dateless and you, you, you just It just sounds stupid. like you are under 12 and you've got that whole thing of, like, I win, like a yeah. big daddy <laughs> where the kid just, I win, and it's like no matter what you did, but I win. Look, if, if we want to really cut through it, <laughs> 10 can claim some growth because they came off such a low base from last year. And they had yep. a reasonable success with, as I said, Survivor. MasterChef did way better than I think anybody expected. Uh, so they did see some ticks up. But when you're coming off single-digit numbers to grow into early teens, of course there's going to be year-on-year -year growth. Um, 2020 has been a horrific year. We've seen all sorts of situations where productions have been shut down, people have lost their jobs, journalists have been culled from print, 
radio and television media across the board. We saw uh, 10, uh, and and um, unfortunately for Bev McGarvey and Rod Prosser at 10, they had to oversee the biggest cuts that 10 have seen, I think, probably yet. We've always talked about them slicing down to the bone. These were amputations because they closed down the 10 Bulletin in Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, and they're yeah. now being run out of Sydney and Melbourne. Um, that's crazy talk. Now, yes, there are still teams of journos and stuff in those cities, but for the bulletin to not be anchored in those cities is an indication that money is tight. And as mm. you said, I think in a previous podcast, Rob, there are still cuts to come. The, the word yeah. from Viacom CBS is that they just have to just keep scraping money out of nowhere and closing things down. Ostensibly seven. Uh, James Warburton has had to you know deal with a crappy Q1 and a crappy Q2, mostly which are shows that he inherited um, from his predecessor. And then we've seen stuff pick up and they weren't able to deliver some of the things that they wanted to deliver, like Holy mm. Moly, like other things. And they were still competitive. And I'm going to say that largely that's because their news performed so well nationally uh, and regularly, every night of the week, it is like number one, number two. But that's what it's about. It's, it's about their, having a spine. The problem is that that's all they gave. And then it wasn't until the AFL turned up that they really had any success. They had moderate success with Big Brother. Yeah, with uh, uh, no gangbusters, but you've got to say they launched Big Brother, SAS Australia, mm-hmm. uh, Farmer Wants a Wife. Moderate uh, success I'm sure for all of them. Yeah, but 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 better than where they were heading Absolutely. in Q one and two, and, and the fact that there is just an oomph of difference between nine and seven, and seven's gains were really in the second half of of this year, says to me it's going to be really interesting twenty twenty one between nine and seven. Well, see, I don't know. I think that we're placing too much. We're not placing enough emphasis on the fact that. Victoria was largely in lockdown, and the the biggest way that they could watch the AFL was on television. So the numbers for the AFL absolutely brought Seven home every time it was on sure. screen. And then when we slide it back into its normal winter place, it will certainly have a benefit, but people will go to the games as much as they can. Let's hope that 2021 opens that up. And even, even here's the other part of it, right? Nine aren't immune from bullshit spin, suggesting that the November experiment for Origin is over. It was never an experiment. They couldn't put it anywhere else. It had to go in November. And, of course, it's sliding back to the middle of the fucking year. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just it's, I'm over. It, like, this is a problem, right? All of these networks just put out press releases and a whole bunch of people regurgitate and go, oh, it's great, blah, blah. And no one stops to think. Even down to the numbers that they presented to us were a confabulation of consolidated 28 figures plus the last four weeks of overnights just to come up with the numbers. In four weeks' time, we will have the accurate numbers about who won what when. But there's no there's no headlines at Christmas. Yes, that's true. Uh, but they're all using the same process oh, to... Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They almost they're all are. They're all using the same idea of... Yes, we don't have the consolidated 28 figures to be able to present the case now and get the official verdicts, but this is Mm. where we are and it gives us headlines and, you know, it it gives talkability. Presidential election. It's kind (laughs) of like got some numbers and we're just going to make the rest of the shit up, but none of it's really official. Stop the count. 14, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, look, um, it's it's always a fascinating game. I do think it's going to be competitive with seven launching for stronger sure. next year. And it'll I be interesting to see if ten can pick up more. And and really, the benchmark for ten is being above the ABC in all people. But you know, if they're delivering in their under fifty demos, like they've been saying, this is where we're at. Um, good luck to them. I just was going to say at the end of this, like as a bit of a 2021 prediction, I was talking to a few f- industry friends today who said, uh, Big Brother, this record has been much better than their first record, that they're very confident with this season they've got in the bag, well, which is nearly in the bag. Uh, I'm a celebrity also are saying that they're fairly confident. However, Celebrity Apprentice not hearing as much confidence for Channel 9. So, look, for 7 and 10, that's some hope of winning the war in the celebrity game of reality television. It, it'll be really interesting to see how those play through, Ben, because normally what we see is is the law of diminishing returns. Season 2, season 3, you know, recurring seasons don't do as well as that, you know, the first season as it came out. Given the Big Brothers on season 11, uh, it would be great to see that do well for 7. And absolutely, I think it'd be great to see 7 and 9 really battle it out in prime time post seven o'clock to see what comes up there. 10 are in a diabolical position when they are fourth behind the ABC. Um, That's as a commercial network. How do you struggle your way out of that? Yeah. And 2021 will reveal all. Look, let's turn our attention to the ABC. They held their upfront event mid last week, with one of the major changes being the day and time of Q&A. While viewers may have settled in for their late-night fix on Mondays of politics and news debates, it will now take an earlier time slot of 8.30pm on Thursdays. They are said to be exploring what will now air during that time slot after Media Watch. They also announced that on New Year's Day, ABC TV Plus will launch a new arts, culture and documentary channel that replaces ABC see comedy. Uh, ben, what do you reckon here? Q&A in an earlier time slot, uh, will it succeed in bringing in more viewers? Yeah, well, I think that they needed to mix it up and I think that will bring in some new viewers. I don't necessarily think it's going to hurt the people that do continuously watch the program. I think with that type of show, they'll move around. I mean, what did the viewer numbers really do with the change of host? You know, not that much. It's the quality of the content that I think brings its audience and I think, if anything, moving it to a different time slot is probably going to be an improvement. Hmm. Uh, what about you, Mark? What do you think about this new channel, ABC TV Plus? In in the list of bad ideas that the ABC have delivered us before, this is up as like number one, number two. Why Re-branding... do you say that? I disagree. But why do you say that? Re-bra- what does ABC TV Plus mean, Rob? What it means does it more. Mean? More means to more me. What? More. More entertainment, more art, culture, more hopefully live programming. I don't know what the channel looks like at the moment, but I'm intrigued to see it. It's just a rebranded ABC Kids comedy. That's all it is. That's it's 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 a new name, and it's allowed them to reduce their entertainment and kids co- entertainment and comedy content, so that they can slide a whole bunch of other content from their primary channel over onto it, and say, "Look at us! How great are we at commissioning other docos and stuff?" Fine enough for the content, but I think as a branding situation, when you've got Disney Plus, Paramount Plus about to land, just rebranding it for no reason is a really silly idea. Did ABC Comedy work though? But well, you couldn't. This is the thing: you couldn't put documentaries about religion and whatever on ABC Comedy, right? That's not going to fit. Yeah, so they broadened that, that brief and those. But come on. 
can we not spend more than one long alcohol-fueled lunch coming up with a name better than ABC TV Plus? As opposed to Q&A, that is a stupid idea breaking up the band. Monday night was always current affairs night on the ABC. You went 7.30, Australian Story, Four Corners, Media Watch Q&A. Whether you hung in for it at 9.35, 9.55, whenever it got on air, it was there and it had the capacity at its best, to really help shape the political narrative across the week and hear people's response and engage in it. Thursday night is nowhere's land unless you are watching the NRL or the, or the AFL. But, you know, they didn't necessarily need to rebrand it. I mean, comedy, Q&A would have fit well with all the things that are happening with Gladys Berejiklian at the moment. She'd be great on that channel. <laughs> I mean, almost, sure. There's Ben's um, political comment for the week. Um, I've got to say, ben. watching those upfronts. I was actually impressed. Mm. It didn't have the flashiness of the commercial rivals. You mm. know, I really think Seven owned the presentation of oh, yeah. this year's Upfronts. But I came away from the ABC thinking there's a whole raft here. There's a good range of shows. There's some innovative shows. There's new shows that might just get me in. I actually came away, and unlike you, Mock, I thought positively about ABC TV+. Plus. I want to see what it's about. I want to see the schedule, which I haven't seen yet. Maybe you've seen more than me, but um, I'm intrigued. Just to be clear, it's not a new channel. It is a reworking of ABC Kids and Comedy. So ABC Kids Comedy vanishes and it's going to get called ABC TV. Yeah, Plus. I understand that, but that happened like with 10 Bold and 10 Shake. It's rebranding. Rebranding happens. Well, no, no, 10 Shake was a new channel. 10 Bold got rebranded after the original Sorry. name yes. infringed an AFR thing or whatever the hell was going on there. Um, it, it, the, the difficulty is this. I think that the ABC offered us really strong drama and comedy content, and the problem is that for a lot of the comedy that we saw coming out of them, it's everything we've seen before. There wasn't a whole bunch of new commissions, and to be frank, that can come because there's only just been in the last three months a new ABC head of comedy land um, in in that context. Um, I, I think that there is always potential for the ABC to do better, and this is not them doing better. This just felt like they're following. They are at their best when they lead, and this is not them leading. But you don't know what they're doing with the channel, and maybe a generic term like ABC TV Plus gives them the option of experimenting with the channel and doing something different with it. And, yes, making more use in this day and age. You've got to think about budgets, and is there something, some content deals that we're not using on the main channel that can be used somewhere else? You know, like, I, I really think there's an opportunity here for ABC to do something with this channel and evolve it over the year and, and so. There, there was an opportunity for the ABC to do anything with it, no matter what they did, Rob, I agree. The challenge is that they could have called it ABC Snack 2.0 and it would have been a better name than ABC TV+. Plus. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it has been a topic we have been covering for weeks. The cast of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and now we have more information. We brought you the news that, how do I say this, not Manu, had been fired just hours before entering the jungle, and now the two names said to have been spotted skydiving into camp are Paulini and Jack Vigeon. We can also exclusively reveal to you that despite the rumours, Lindsay Lohan is not going to be part of a series. In a message to our producer, Abby Mickelson, yes, the one who got you that exclusive about the Masked Singer, Don't she has a direct again. line to Lindsay, it would seem. She laughed off the rumour, asking who said it and claiming she'd never even heard of it. Um, ben, we know that Paulini and Jack Vigeon skydived into the camp, but you can give us another name, can't you? 
Oh, you want Tony Perrin? Yes. Oh, I love Tony Perrin, and so it's Tony Perrin, which is oh. very exciting. So whether you loved her in Hair or you liked her in East Street, uh, well, she was in East Street, wasn't she? Yeah, she absolutely great. was. Big name, small person. Can I just explain a really embarrassing story? And this is on brand for the haters that hate me that listen to this podcast. I'll just <laughs> chew this up. This is basically the dessert that they're having this week. Um, I listened to an unreliable source uh, who told me that Tony Perrin was going to actually be in not one but three reality TV shows for 2021. However, <laughs> they had not been able to tell the difference between Tony Perrin and this other woman. And so it was believed to me that Tony Perrin was in I'm a Celebrity and Celebrity Apprentice, and she was being rumoured to be an SAS. Uh, <laughs> but not. <laughs> never believe people that need to go to the optometrist and get their eyes tested because Tony Perrin just looked very similar to one of the people on Celebrity Apprentice, which, you know, I can't say at the moment. But anyway, I but, will say but this. Tony is going into the jungle, yeah? Oh, she's in the jungle at the moment. She's, you know, obviously in a world of pain. It's a pre-record, so she's not eating anything at the moment. Uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure she'd be having a crocodile leg if she's won her challenges. Um, but at the end of the day... I thought it was really interesting that this information got out there because they use these helicopters uh, to skydive people into the UK every year and they're always able to keep all of these celebrities a secret on that show. And I had been told later this afternoon that, you know, sometimes with that helicopter trip into the jungle for the UK, they actually do pre-record that a couple of days prior. So, you know, it is being shot on a live uh, take, so mm. you'd believe that they were just being skydived and being sent straight in. But uh, look, they've it's never just in case ever someone really gets hurt. That's why. Well, that's a great that's a great technique, and I they should it was mind... to stop the paps. But the fact of the matter is, they took a photo. Someone that was there, though I, I don't necessarily know if they worked for the company, but someone who witnessed them getting into the plane took a photo of all of them. But the thing was, the person who took a photo only could recognise. Paulini and Jack Vision <laughs> because they couldn't recognise any of the other celebrities. However, I think that's because they're obviously that says more about this person who took the photo and less about the actual celebrities because there'd be plenty of people who wouldn't know who Paulini or Jack Vision is. But the fact that they could recognise those two, I feel like I'm going to gay shame them, but I feel like they're a gay person because gay people love Paulini. And they love Jack Vigeon. If you're getting into skydive, you've probably got a bunch of gear on and maybe they just couldn't tell who they were with the mask and the helmet and the outfits and it, stuff. It's also the whole point of I'm a Celebrity, right? You're not going to get your, you know, Zac Efron's and your, you know, uh, Hemsworth's jumping in to jump out of there. It's going to be people who maybe haven't been on the front page for a little while. I actually like that about this show. I actually like that about the style of this show. And I guess they do kind of get high ratings to do the big reveal of who's going in there. But at the end of the day, it's about good casting. And from the magic of good casting, that's what the reports that are coming in, they've been in production for a couple of weeks now. And from everyone that I know that's leaking stuff to me, uh, I'm hearing that it's a really good cast. They're mixing really well together. They are sticking to the fact that they're shooting it in the same real time to give you the fans the same feel of the show so that'll still be maintained but look casting is about great chemistry between the campmates it's not about the biggest names because we know that the ratings weren't high enough for when Shane Warne was in there for 2.5 million dollars I think that was how much he got but you know Mm. like it the ratings aren't dictated by having the biggest names it's just not that sort of a show true all right now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah 
Thanks, Rob. Jenny Weber has been appointed general manager for Nine NBN. Along with the day-to-day management of NBN, Jenny will also oversee the new fully integrated digital and production offering Nine Direct Production. The stars of the Seven Network's The Morning Show, Kylie Gillies and Larry Emder, have been named as hosts of the 2020 Woolworths Carols in the Domain, which will broadcast on Channel 7 on Wednesday, December 23 at 7.30pm. Another controversy. No Rhonda Birchmore. After the success of shows like The Crown, Netflix has doubled its spending in the UK to $1 billion, a 100% increase on last year's figures, with a spokesperson for Netflix saying, we are proud to be increasing our investment in the UK's creative industries. And veteran actress Betty Bobbitt has died aged 81 after suffering a major stroke last Wednesday. Bobbitt was best known for playing Judy Bryant in Prisoner. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. A very big character for Prisoner and one that broke down a lot of barriers. Coming up in a moment, we will be talking to Anthony Daniels, C-3PO from Star Wars. A little bit excited, not going to lie. And Ben will be opening up the TV Black Bolt. Wow. Ben will be opening up the TV Black Bolt for all the juiciest goss this side of Sydney. Well, if you are a lover of Star Wars, you certainly know the name Anthony Daniels. He was, of course, C-3PO in the ongoing film Legacy. And now he's reprising that role for Disney's Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. We recently caught up with him on the Ben Robin Robbo Show after we took a quick look at what's in store with this new special. For Rey, adventure called, and she thought it would be fast. Wow. But there she found a key to the galaxy's past. Sorry. Oh, oh, Master Luke, what are you doing? This is so cool. See my master. My master's master. Concentrate. My master's father. Impressive. My master's father's master. Emperor Palpatine. Hmm? I don't believe it. Uh, you think maybe you could put a shirt on? It's a key oh. to travel across space and time. <laughs> I will change the future. So sure are you? Mm-hmm. Let's talky talky more fighty fighty. Ah! Ah! Hold me. 
faces. Jinx! Oh, double jinx! <laughs> oh. So cute. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Galaxy's best emperor. Meh. You thinking what I'm thinking? Music. A time of joy. This is. Hooray! Of friendship. Of family. Who are you guys? Master Skywalker. My son. I mean, my. These binary sons. <laughs> Unta, unta, solos? You want to shoot first? After you. Well, Anthony Daniels is one of the many famous voices in this special, and he joins us now. Anthony, welcome to the Ben Robin Robo Show. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> well, you've openly stated you didn't like the 1978 special, but because this one is a Lego version, it's really able to... Uh, Take the take the Mickey out of itself. It's allowed to have fun at the Star Wars universe. Does that forgive all the ills from the previous special? Uh, Robert, that that may be going too far. <laughs> you know, I rebooked the therapy because I thought that was over, but no, it's awakened those memories. You know, they, they stay there. Um, what can I say? I um, it it was huge fun to really to be in the first one. Uh, but this one is different and you hit the nail with Lego. You can take, I wondered whether you could say take the, but you said Mickey, which is good. Um, you can, <laughs> yeah, you can make, I, I was going to say take the piss. <laughs> I know. I told you were going to take piss. So you didn't, but I would have said this. You can take the piss out of these movies uh, because they can be led, people can get a bit pompous about them if you're not careful, you know, the force and the dark side and all that stuff, and who did what to whom, whatever. Um, so I love the irreverence that Lego has always brought, whatever the product, Lego, because you can't be serious if you're a dumpy, like, sort of, what, uh, inch and a half inch doll. You cannot be serious. <laughs> well, this is such a thrill to be speaking to you, Anthony. So thank you for the decades of joy that you've brought fans like me, even all the way over here in Australia. That is really, it's really nice of you to say that, but I'm immediately going to chip back because when you think about it, and, and maybe this doesn't really occur, I'm going to say thank you to you and everybody else, all the fans who have reciprocated, who have enjoyed, who have watched, who have loved what I and the other members of the cast and crew and producers and so on have brought to you. And, the, you know, in, in the book, I do talk about the fact that Without the fans, there would have only been one Star Wars film. It was called The Star Wars. Um, no, then it became Star Wars, or The Star Wars. Then it became Episode Four because the fans took it and loved it. So George made uh, the, the next film, Empire Strikes Back, and so on. So you're thanking me, and I'm thanking you for playing your part as a member of the audience uh, without being sickly about it. But it's a two-way process, and you're part of the team, and I thank you. Well, what I want to know is, do you think that your golden character will remain in the history of cinema like the original robot of The Metropolis by Fritz Lang? Yes, I, I do sincerely believe that. Because like um, Ava, I think her name was, yeah. the robot, uh, C-3PO is an iconic film. And on set, uh, walking to the, the scene through the crew, I would regularly say, move out of the way, Icon coming through, holiday icon coming through, and of course people laughed. The three PO is an icon forever and ever, and he will not 
he will out-survive me, he will out-survive all of us, because now with the electronic media, uh, the, these images, as much as Maria and Metropolis exist forever, so will Star Wars and so will 3PO, and I'm very proud about that, because I respect him a great deal. All right, let's talk The Mandalorian now, Mr Daniels. And look, it's been a big hit for Disney, but I've got a bit of a problem with it. And that is that there's no 3PO. Will we see 3PO in the future? I would love to see C-3PO in The Mandalorian. And um, I hope you will be talking to the producers on my behalf because my phone is ready. Anthony, I wonder, is there a difference in your performance when you're in the golden suit and when you're simply doing voiceovers in character like you did for this holiday special? The only difference is I'm not wearing a suit. I am there in jeans and a shirt of some kind that doesn't make rustly noises in the, in the microphone, so you have to be careful what kind of uh, material you're wearing. Because 3PO, uh, I stand up, I stand as him, so a very tight bum, tight stomach, and very tense because he's a tense character. Uh, but he moves all most of the time when he's talking. And if I'm wearing the wrong clothes, um, cotton that's a bit uh, sharp or whatever, it can make rustly noises. So I have to be very careful to wear s sloppy clothes. That way I can remain as physically as through, through here. Much to the amazement of any visitors who watch, and they go, God, I can see the costume. You, I mean, I can see... If you watch me, people forget that I'm there in the shirt and the jeans. They see the gold. And that's kind of fun for me. And in your book, which, uh, by the way, I've actually read twice. I read it in Fiji earlier this year. And coincidentally, not knowing I was doing this, uh, I read it just again. But you talk about the neglect that you felt towards the character C-3PO at the end of the first film. Were those observations more about the way that C-3PO has been treated on screen, or is this more about you, yourself, as an actor? Yeah, you see, that's a really... You see, that's a really clever, thoughtful question. When I decided to write the book, um, I decided it, it should be as honest as possible without hurting people, without making stupid, uh, fantastic claims, whatever, just the way it was. And I thought it was important, certainly to me, to say that it was very, very difficult at the beginning when Lucasfilm tried to pretend that I had nothing to do with the film, that I wasn't that character, I had no input, that I wasn't the puppeteer. All right, I got a little credit on the roll-up at the end. That was a very, very hurtful experience. And it's interesting that I had never actually put together what you just said, that... The 3PO gets pushed around, dumped on, ignored everything, through all, <laughs> bullied through all of these uh, stories. And, yeah, now you've made me think about that. But what I do do in the book is to come towards the end and say, I, and I'm not reading it, I'm remembering, that I uh, realised that for several years I, I'd harboured resentments, and, and why wouldn't I? They were very serious... Um, miscalculations about how to treat a person. That changed over the years. But those resentments did stay very, rather like memories of the original um, holiday special. They stayed somewhere in the back of my mind. And certainly um, writing about them brought them out again. But then I move on to say, but then time changed, that I changed, that I realized that things had moved on, that those hurts would always stay there as hurts, but they weren't going to hurt anymore unless people brought them up, and then they will revive. 
But now there are better things to talk about. There's, there's lovely things that happen. Working with JJ, adorable. Uh, having the enjoyment and affection and respect of the fans, I realized it was an amazing uh, event to happen towards me. And so eventually, as time went on, my stupidity, my, my hurts, my naiveness, my uh, initial feelings changed so that I can now happily talk to you about my joy of being part of this program, about uh, other Star Wars events, part of uh, being part of the, the whole uh, fan world. But always there will be memories. Uh, it would be stupid to deny them. But now I move, have moved very, very far away from that initial process. But again, thank you for a, a really intelligent and a rather thought-provoking uh, question, which I will think about. Well, Mr. Daniels, you've been the shining light throughout the entire Star Wars universe, and even that holiday special in 1978. I wanted to ask you... How dare you remind me of that? <laughs> no, no, I just yeah, wanted to ask was... what your memories were of that. Right, but, you know, I'm sure you have read my book in English, possibly, uh, IMC 3PO, The Inside Story, because I'm plugging it away like mad. Why not? But one of the most <laughs> one of the most amusing chapters, possibly, it refers to the original holiday special in 1978, which was remarkable uh, in so many ways. First of all, filming it on the set in L.A. was a dismal, dismal experience. And bear in mind, this is meant to be a the happiest day in the life of an Ewok, uh, not Ewok, um, what are the big ones called? Um, the Wookiees. Uh, they will get together, you know, like uh, every religion has its festival days and life days for the Wookiees. And there we were meant to be celebrating this event, and there's Mark and Carrie and Harrison and me in this very dark, uh, the, the basically black drapes. It was like a funeral. It was dreadful. And then you watched it and you thought, I didn't realize it was as dreadful as that, but it was. So when the producers came to me and said, um, we're going to make a holiday special, <laughs> I laughed. Um, but as you will find out, it's very, very different. And it's charming and it's, it's uh, Lego that I adore. And 3PO has seen all, all sorts of things over the years. You know, he's been on the Donnie Marie Osmond show and the Muppet show, and he's used to crazy experiences that bring out certain qualities in him. And so long may that go on. Well, Anthony, I watched this new holiday special with my 10-year-old daughter and she loved it. Thank you for being with us today. Robert, is <laughs> well, great what a man. Ben, you were just thrilled to be able to interview him. I could see it in your face. Well, absolutely. It's because I grew up being, you know, C-3PO is one of the quintessential characters for anyone that was born in the 80s. I, I scraped into the 80s uh, and in 1980 I was born and, and I absolutely love C-3PO. But I also loved Anthony Daniels' version of C-3PO, everything about him, so much so that, you know, before you told me we were going to interview him, I had bought his autobiography and read it twice this year. So <laughs> it was a, it's a real opportunity. So. That was really good timing. All right, now it's time to open the TV Black Vault and find out what's happening in the world of entertainment. Benjamin. Thanks so much for that, Rob. Okay, so last week, voted on the most was for mm. this one. If you thought a certain math star was Pete Evans' replacement, Ooh. you'd have been fooled by their own PR. Apparently, this person was ringing radio stations and magazines to tip them off, even though he had never been in touch with Channel 10 or the production company. 
And that was NASA, who we all know is the biggest PR for his own. So I'm actually thinking he's at home filming himself talking about himself. <laughs> Didn't like, everybody guess this one, though? I think so. Did they? <laughs> Probably. But it was certainly the one that was most voted on, wasn't it, Ben? A hundred percent. Thank you very much for that, Mulk. I really appreciate that. Anyway, moving along. This week's ones are media friendships, especially ones born from reality TV, are as fickle as Melbourne weather. Once a sunny friendship is now a storm when one suggested the other does perhaps set up for free for their podcast. Oh, my God. So, as we know, reality TV stars, they love to set up their own paps by ringing the Daily Mail and tipping them off, but they do get money for doing this. However, this reality TV person went on their podcast, threw their mate under the bus, and, uh, yeah. Um, Number two, one network is planning more than one season to be filmed in 2021, but those dates won't work for their host, and that could spoil the plan. Ah, oh, so Ooh. this is one show that's going to film two seasons back to back. And uh, their host is not available for the second series. So, oh, she's not But Benjamin much. Norris, you are. Uh, I'm always available, Rob, but thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your care. Hey, can you hear that? Shh, listen, that's Ben's phone not ringing. No, that's that's my agent calling me. Would have been funnier. Oh, Come on, oh, sorry. Right. I think this was pretty funny. It was pretty good, and I don't have an agent, so they don't even exist, except in my own head. Number three. See, that's one the sting Bi- right there. That's the sting. <laughs> Number three, one Byron celeb to ruin them all. One Hollywood A-lister apparently is being blamed for everything that goes wrong in Byron Bay. Bookings for low-fat yoga surfing, long queues for chai lattes, and even downward dogs that have taken too long. Everyone is now blaming this Hollywood star. Why blame them? Well, someone has to take the blame. Top poppy syndrome. Ah, Ben, thank you very much. That is the TV Black Vault for another week. And that brings us to the end of TV Black Box. Don't forget for the latest news, views and information too, go to tvblackbox.com.au. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Mulk. Thank you, Ben. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.